Welcome to the Virtual CPA Success Show, where we're 100% focused on helping service-based businesses achieve success. Are you a business owner interested in learning how to scale your business? Has your business reached over $1 million in annual revenue? Then this podcast is for you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, today, we have uh, Russell Debris from Performance Faction here, and he's going to talk to us about uh, life with agencies. So I'm really excited to talk with, with him about some of his experiences and some of the lessons he's learned and really what makes um, agencies unique. But before we get to that, um, I want to welcome Jody to the show as always. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jamie. All right, Russell. Well, well, this could be, this this could be an that. exciting one because Russ and I went back, gosh, it was like 2000. 14, 2015 at an, at an operation summit. So it's been a long time. At that point, he was an agency owner. And uh, uh, I'd like to kind of hear what his path has been and what he's doing now. Yeah, I can't. And I can't wait for our conversation eight years from now, too. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make this a thing, right? <laughs> That's right. So cool. I need a, you yeah, want start- Start, start, start with your path a little bit. Again, like Jody said, he talked to you last time eight years ago. And at that time you were working with an agency and now you're obviously uh, doing something different. So we'd love to hear a little bit about your path. Yeah. Who the heck am I? What the heck am I doing here? So yeah, back in 2006, I started a agency with my brother-in-law of all people. And we focused mostly on building websites, online technology, that sort of thing. And I was joke. I knew nothing about that business, building websites or really anything tech period. So uh, I always joke if he'd been in a completely different industry, that might've been the, uh, the business I started, but it just happened to be a, a marketing type company. So after the first few years there, I mean, we really, we really barely made it through quite honestly. And, uh, and I tell folks, you can't put your fingers close enough together in terms of how close we were to actually having to shut our doors several times, but really figured things out around 2012, hit our stride. And, and just for context sake, we went from, like I said, near shutting our doors around a million dollars in revenue to about 5 million in two years. And then actually eventually sold the company uh, for an eight figure valuation back in 2017. And, Continue to stay on and grow the business as all things mergers and acquisitions go. Very positive story. Uh, and then maybe like a lot of folks during the course of the pandemic started to think maybe there's another life, another path for me. And that's when I kind of started to go down what I'm doing today and basically consider myself business coach, growth advisor, but specifically focused on creative marketing service oriented type companies. Great. So I noticed you said 11 years ago, you turned around, not eight years ago. So I don't want Jody taking, uh, taking credit for that. Um, like, <laughs> like he, will, so. he, he told me what to do, or I learned from him what to do with all the money we made. Right. Oh, okay. So you were, right. you were already bringing it at that point. <laughs> awesome. So um, I think today you mentioned talking about, um, and I think this is a really exciting topic for us because we, we work with a lot of agencies and every agency we talk to, you know, it's, it's definitely a unique business. So I want you to kind of go through what you think are the three reasons why running it is uniquely challenging. So let's, let's dive into these three items. All right. Well, I'll just start going and you feel free to throw in all the questions there, but um, I think the first one ends up being such a low barrier to entry. And, and in some ways that can be really good and positive. Uh, I joke that we, uh, to start our agency, we we bought our first set of leads from a place online and then we went to Staples and we went to Chipotle. We didn't need to really do the last two. Um, and you could probably even argue we didn't need to do the first one. That's just kind of how we chose to get our first set of business. And what I think happened with that, right? You can start an agency as kind of a glorified freelancer or outright freelancer, and you just have a, your network and, and you, that's how you get your first couple of clients. And you can even start to grow from there, pick up a few more for your network. But at some point, 
that becomes uh, restrictive to your business because think of if you're opening like a brick and mortar that you have to figure out how to get a lot of people in your door fast. They're not, you just can't go to your network and say, come meet at my restaurant. You need way more people than that. So your survivability is going to depend on so much many more factors and your ability to market, get clients on your own and stuff like that. Whereas an agency can kind of be a, Oh, what's the phrase? The frog in boiling water where um, you can grow to a decent size just based on referrals. But it, but at some point that make hits, becomes a wall, I guess you could say, right. In terms of your ability to grow further. <clears throat> And, and that first part there with, with your growth, I mean, you went from a million to 5 million in a pretty relatively quick time. I mean, what, what was the, what was the reason for that? So, so one, we just kind of gotten to the point. We, like I said, we bought all those leads initially, and then we kind of started to grow our business based on referrals. And then this is, I think another happen, problem that we probably almost suffered as well. You land that really large client mm-hmm. and that was a big catalyst for our growth and allowed us to reinvest in the business. But at the same time, we hadn't quite figured out how to really go manufacture our own leads. So I think in the course of that, we kind of just said once we saw the writing on the wall that this client isn't going to sustain us for the long term, how are we going to replace several million dollars of business uh, on an ongoing basis kind of forced us through through some of that where I think a lot of times you see some agencies maybe rise up and then decline because they cut to live off that gorilla client for a while. And then once if they didn't figure out that you know, how to generate their own leads and whatnot in that process, then, then you kind of see the decline. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's one of the books that we, we talk about a ton is um, E-Myth. And so I think what you're talking about is the, is the technician, right? And so like you're saying, there's a low barrier of entry because it's very easy to be a technician who has one large client and be like, oh, I could easily do this on my own and take this client with me. And so um, why don't you talk about the do you, when you talk with clients, you often refer to that book or how do you um, help them get out of that stage where they're just one technician who's really good at doing something versus training other people and growing that business into something different? Well, that's the really fascinating art about what I do is, yeah, whatever someone's natural skill set can be so varied, I think, too, with an agency. You might be a creative, you might be a tech, you might be, um, you know, some people have neither of those skills, they might be more uh, network or business development oriented, which is actually a great help to them in that process. So, so I think it's really just looking at the individual, what's their strong suit. And then how do we match? How do we create a strategy that's going to not force them completely out of their comfort zone? Uh, but, you know, maybe to some degree and, and really just offset where their natural strengths lie or, or whatever you might say. Um, so, I, I mean, I think a lot of that, right. The solve for a lot of that is I don't know if we want to get too deep in the weeds of the solutions yet, but uh, um, is positioning and how do we know who our clients and customers are? And so we do a lot of work with the, with the folks and agencies I talk to on yeah, how do we how do we start to know who who we want to be next to in the room um, to maybe turn those conversations into leads and eventually clients. Great. We're ready to get to um, there or uniqueness number two. So let's uniqueness hear what uh, number two. Us, yeah. So this one's uh, hopefully uh, this doesn't ever sound too bad, but I think it comes down to that the marketplace really doesn't know how to necessarily pick a great agency. And so you often see them pick arbitrary factors like um, uh, price, which is never a really good way to shop uh, geography, right? Who's in our town uh, or our city or just, Hey, I needed agency to do this. Who does someone know? Which referrals are always great, but but we don't necessarily know if they're going to meet the needs of the solution or whatever. And so 
right? If, if, if the marketplace isn't very good at, at differentiating, then it kind of gives us going back to that frog and boiling water where, um, right. If you look at probably most agencies book a record, they're all local clients or something like that. Um, and, and then we kind of in this, or, or I guess you could say a marketing companies do their portfolio shopping, right? Oh, that's a cool website. Let me go find the company that did that. And I'll have them do that for me, which again, could be so many different factors there. And then if we talk about the, the death by referral mm-hmm. that we kind of mentioned as being a, a central thing as well, that, um, you know, these agencies, I think a lot of times tout, well, we're hundred percent referral based, but that's sort of the, the kiss of death, if you will in terms of, um, sorry, I lost my track there, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, uh, bet you, you can't scale, you can't inflate scale referrals cause you don't know where they're going to come from. And we don't know who's out there talking about us going to, going to give us that next referral. Yeah. It's kind of funny you mention that because with, with the way that we do our marketing is that, uh, we don't have a biz dev team, you know, it's just, uh, Jamie, he'll, he'll field some phone calls. I'll field phone calls and Adam will field, build them. But the whole whole thing is market, you know, dri- driving by the market, right. Getting out and becoming that thought leader, getting out there and, and really doing a lot of content marketing and re- really just being the person that they want to come to. And it, it's a, it's a difficult, it's very difficult actually to, to get to that stage. But once it's, once you're there, um, the the, uh, the leads just keep coming. And so they, they keep coming and then it's just simply a follow-up. The, the nice thing about it that leads are typically qualified too. So they're, you know, they already know a lot about you. you know, they've already gone through all the barriers that you would typically have to go with if you're doing a cold call type type scenario. And so the closing ratio seems to be a lot higher and the, uh, the, the dollar amount seems to be a lot higher as well. And so I think what you're getting to there is that you can't re- rely just on referrals. You've got to really kind of be out there and create that content out there so that people, you know, really look for you and reach out to you. You know, even today, a third of our business comes through referrals, you know, referrals from clients, referrals from, from uh, other CPA firms, referrals from you name it. Um, and then a third of it comes from just getting out there and speaking, you know, getting out there, being that thought leader, and then kind of tailing onto that. The other third comes through the content marketing, the website, you know, people Googling, you know, virtual CFO services or Googling, creative agency, you know, whatever that might be. So two thirds of our business really comes through that, that marketing funnel that you're talking about, which I think is crucial to success really of any agency out there is to, you know, finding that, finding that funnel and kind of differentiating yourself a little bit uh, so that people come to you. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and right, I've seen it so many different levels. I've seen agencies hit the referral wall at a million. I've seen them hit, you know, and I think even our own case, we we kind of hit that wall at five million where we just, if, until we really solve things beyond that, we we had a $5 million business based upon referrals. Um, but so, yeah, it really runs the gamut of where, where that really becomes a difficult point for an agency. Well, I think the interesting thing, if the way I, when you said that, that I never thought of that before, that the marketplace doesn't really know how to pick an agency. So I think what my flip side of that would be is that as an agency, I better be darn good at helping us help. I better be darn good at picking the companies right. I, I work with. And I think that's um, really important. And I'm curious how often you tell that to your clients, because I think that's the important thing for me is, is I talk to clients all the time about this and more from the pipeline side, we talk all the time about qualified. And a lot of times I'll have a client with a client conversation with a client. They'll be like, what do you mean by qualified? I'm like, well, who would you work with? Is there a size? Is there a, a niche or what are the clients that you would not work with? And if they don't know, then like you said, then, then they're going to be in as much trouble and they're going to end up in a lot of really bad engagements. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, right. Uh, be careful who you get in bed with uh, is uh, what uh, I learned that lesson a few, few hard ways over the years. And I think that's actually a great third way or segue to the third one is, uh, you know, a creative service is a hard service to, to go through, right? You're not only talking thought leadership, but just the notion that, you know, who you're dealing with on the other end, how much do they believe they're the expert versus hiring you to be the expert? And what's that relationship going to be like? They they hold a lot of keys in terms of right they this is your stuff you're putting out for them. So they they hold a lot of the, the, the keys to the kingdom in terms of what your ability to even do that. Um, right. Versus, you know, an auto mechanic shop. I don't know anything about cars. When I go there, I put a hundred percent trust and faith when, when that transaction occurs, but you know, I think the creative service agency business isn't quite the same. Um, and, you know, they're, sometimes they might feel like they're just hiring you for the commodity of the skill versus the thought leadership and things like that. So, yeah, I think, as you said, navigating all those things up front um, so you can know, hey, is this going to be an easy relationship to do? Because not only do you have sometimes what's subjective results, that's a whole other thing you could get into in terms of how great agencies are at proving the results they do. So if they're subjective, but then you have so many other players and variables, now you have to get that information from the team or sorry, the, the client, you have to translate that to a team then to be able to execute on that. So, so many variables that I think just make an agency business a, a really hard business um, at, at large. Yeah. Culture is like a big thing, you know, for, for us, and it, it always has been uh, trying to have a unique culture, you know, for ours, you know, the, the culture is fully remote, you know, we've been fully remote for uh, almost 10 years. And then, you know, how do we, keep main keep and maintain a culture of being remote you know we meet with meet with our team every you know every six months and we have company retreats and you know we, we there's a lot of cool stuff we intentionally try to promote culture and and i i would argue and jamie you could correct me from if you think differently i would argue that our culture is is probably as strong if not stronger than most cultures that are that meet in a brick and mortar environment um, I definitely agree Yep. Yes. So, I mean, do you, do you feel that culture plays a, a big role um, in the agency world and, and make it, and does it translate to clients? Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, one of the biggest examples, I feel like that, that rings just so true. It's like a, I almost brought a tear to my eye when you just kind of say that, right. <laughs> but the greatest relationships that we had as an agency where um, when we would be working together and collaborating that you could walk in that room and that you wouldn't actually be able to know who was with what company. Um, and it was almost like we were, were a common team and culture and just like minds and so many things like that. Um, just even going back to what Jamie said of qualifying and, and knowing that that's how you guys are going to work together. Um, I mean, that just makes an already hard business to to have that not be an issue. Um, I mean, is, is, is a very sweet place to be. I can say that for sure. Can you correct a bad culture? As an agency? Yeah. Um, gosh, that's a really, <laughs> really good question. Um, it, seems like it'd be, it seems like it'd be kind of tough because culture kind of is, is driven right from the owner's all the way down typically and correcting a, a culture, actually steering a culture away, Jamie, what's your thought on that? I mean, yeah, no, I, I think the best thing for culture to me is it should represent the, what the ownership wants the company to be, right? Like the culture that we have at Summit is a very true representation of who you and Adam are, right? So like when I, when I came to Summit, I, I interviewed you two and I'm like, okay, I know what I'm getting into. And then when you're working there, is that actually what we're getting into? Right. And so I think that that's a big part of it. And so like, if 
the, I think the best time to change the culture is if a company is becoming something that you're not right. Like if at some point, you know, your company has started to become something that is not what you believe in. And that would be a time that it'd be pretty easy to change the culture is to like, look at yourself, look at your core values and be like, okay, this is the kind of company I want to run this kind of business. I want to run. It's not that that'd be easier to change where if it's a, uh, if it's you, if it's you're the problem and you're, you've created the bad culture, but it's naturally who you are, it's a little bit more difficult to change. <laughs> is, is it me? Am I the drama? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think hopefully, I guess you could say in that sense, if it's, if it's like a 180, just complete toxic, bad culture, hopefully we've qualified that and that's just not going to be our clients, but, but I actually think you can change the culture, um, as an, as an agency and right. It starts with small wins. I mean, if you've just got some fundamental trust that, Hey, this is going to be a good partnership and relationship. Um, just as much as the, the, uh, agency needs to learn about that business, the business itself can learn about the agency. And cause I do think agencies, not all, but a lot are known for having good cultures. You kind of mentioned just because it's a little more free flowing thought and, and less bureaucratic oftentimes. Um, so if we can infiltrate some of that and some of these kind of bureaucratic, more, um, um, I don't know what the word, other word would be, but businesses that don't quite operate like that, that's, that's, um, that has an osmosis effect almost, if you will, in terms of changing that organization. And yeah, I have several examples of that over the course of time where we kind of got to see that where they, they started talking like this, so that whole kind of mind meld thing. And, and we started talking like them even, and, and that gave us such empathy, I guess you could say is really a great place to start with that. But I think the other side of that too, is I think culture change is hard. And a lot of times people jump off the boat during culture change because this isn't what I came into. Right. And so like when you're changing culture, you have to be prepared to deal with loss of team or loss of clients or, or loss of things that just didn't match um, your culture. So I think that's what makes culture changes very difficult. Yeah. yeah I mean, it may, oh, sorry, Jamie. Jenny. Yeah. What I was going to say is when, when you have the cultures between the, the two companies, you know, the culture of our company and the culture of the client, um, you know, like, like you said, eventually, you know, the idea is that, you know, hopefully you kind of meet somewhere in the middle so that your culture is kind of intermix a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably what's going to create that, you know, that's that, that feeling of success, you know, between the, between the, you know, with cultures in general. Yeah. And, and uh, so I actually have a whole, I got into speaking last year is kind of one of the forays I got into and I actually have a, so I, I think back in my agency journey and my, my Oscars or my Emmys from that journey were uh, we got a best place to work uh, in, in the Dallas area. And, um, we actually became a registered B Corp and mostly pretty much all due to kind of our employment practices. So those were very proud moments uh, for myself. And uh, and one in terms of working with a client, right? You talk about this, that conflict of culture. Sometimes, and this may sound like a really bad thing to say, that if someone didn't get fired in the course of our relationship, that we probably weren't doing our job good enough. That a lot of times, especially in these bigger companies, there's some gatekeeper or some some person that's not doing their job that's fighting for job security, not value. And um, and you know, it wasn't what we walked in to do, but if we did our job right, that would kind of start to get uncovered or whatever. And and um, they would do some restructuring in there. So again, not, not necessarily the proudest thing, but, but again, I think it is a, it is a sign of that you're actually making change and, and doing good work. If, if there's someone that's not providing value, holding up their end of the bargain. Well, I think that kind of goes back to your first point, the lower barrier of entry. Like I think a lot of times people probably start a business a little bit more less mature in their career and don't realize that, Oh, this, this is, this is part of the growth process. I remember when I, I left I was public accounting for 10 years and my first act when I was out of public accounting was to do a reorganization and let people go. And that was really hard for me as a, 
a 28 year old, 29 year old that hadn't really been uh, on that side of things. But then, you know, you realize how healthy it was for the organization and how all those people ended up, okay, they found new jobs and they moved on and they still talk yeah. to you. And so it's like you, you know, being a low barrier of entry company, a lot of times you don't learn that until it's too late. Like you said, those are some of those bumps you take along the way is like, wow, this team is not performing. What's, what's the problem. And then you realize it's only one or two people that just aren't on board. And so um, that, I think that's part of the reason that um, that would be a, a challenge with a lot of agencies. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, getting into the, the, the solution side of things that, right. Just sometimes if you just talk about culture, culture goes so much more smoothly. If a business is performing well, um, you know, take the stress out of how are we going to make our, how are we going to keep the doors open or how are we going to make money? And so, you know, I think the first one really comes into just having good positioning and, uh, I imagine many agency people out there have heard of David Baker speak and he has his podcast that speaks so much to the notion of positioning, right. But the way he talks about is getting to know your customers' names, right. That gives us a place where we know we can, uh, whether it's a conference or uh, a list we can buy that we have this very specific audience of people that we can try to figure out how to generate conversations with uh, that are actually based upon the value we can provide, not necessarily maybe pinning the tail on the doc donkey of, oh my gosh, we have this lead in the door. We have to be anything and everything to them just because we can't let them slip away because not that many come and come our way versus if we know we can kind of generate and manufacture these, um, we're so much more comforted by by our activities and both internally and externally in, in terms of, hey, we know where we're going to get our next lead from. We don't need to stress about this one particular thing. And then you can focus on things like culture and um, investing in your team and that sort of thing. Oh, that's that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So, um, so that's one of the solves. So again, just to remind everybody, the three things you mentioned were low barrier of entry, that the marketplace doesn't really know um, how to how to pick a company, and then the last one was it's a it's a hard pro process to go through of getting the service. And so, give us one more solve before we kind of uh, wrap up this uh, podcast. Yeah, well, I think the next one, right? We all love two for three deal here, so you can solve solve three of these challenges with with two things. But I think it's eating their own medicine, right? We hear the common uh, uh, phrase in the agency world of the cobbler's kid has no shoes. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's actually very disconcerting because if, if you don't believe in what you do enough to do it for yourself, are you that effective at what you're doing? And I understand sometimes you just, if your problem is you got too many leads and you got too much work, then, then maybe it's fair. Um, but sometimes that's not always the case. So, um, but I think that helps in two ways. One, uh, experimenting on yourself, I always think is right. You you throw your own kid a little higher in the air than you'd throw your, uh, your nephew or your neighbor's kid or something Hopefully. like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Uh, so, so you're going to push the boundaries a little more with maybe your own marketing to figure out where the, where that would actually works. Cause you know, while we do experiment on our clients, sometimes we can't just completely go off the reservation. Um, and then, right. It proves our effectiveness, not only hopefully and in, in during the work itself, but to ourselves, right. That, Hey, if we're going to be, um, uh, uh, this type of company and we can prove this works for us, then heck we can sell this, you know, to anyone that might have a similar challenges or needs. Um, and I think that's why too, why you see SEO companies 
tend to not have these same challenges because one, they're naturally positioned at least on a horizontal level in terms of their offering, but they believe in what they do. So they do it for themselves uh, quite extensively. And then, sure. right, that essentially generates leads for themselves. So all the while, if you're, if you're eating your own medicine, if you're giving your, your cobbler's kids shoes, you're, you're building this foundation of value within your own business that again, you can extend to your services, but then obviously build and generate more business over time. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a really key point. I think about, you know, as accountants, it's something similar that we have to think about all the time is like, okay, how are our books? You know, the last thing you want to do is go to a, <laughs> go to a um, accounting company that doesn't bill you on time and doesn't know how to collect and all that stuff. So I think it's really important that, uh, you know, every business thinks like that. So that's, that's a really good tip. So um, I'm going to transition here to the, to the fun part of our podcast. So uh, what we'd like to do is kind of, kind of change direction a little bit and just ask, ask a random question. So very early on, on the podcast, uh, Russell, you mentioned that you joined with your brother-in-law and just because he was in this space, that's the space that you jumped into. So I'm going to ask the question that every kid likes to be asked. And what, what was your dream job as a kid? So when you were a little kid, what did you tell everybody <laughs> you wanted to be when you grew up? And so I will start with Jody, just so I'm not putting Russell on the spot, but oh, Jody, what, was your, what was your, uh, <laughs> what was the job you told everybody you were going to be when you were a kid? Oh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a garbage man. I wanted to be uh, something I can drive that really big truck and, uh, you know, meet all these people um, throughout the, throughout the neighborhood. Had a, had a great friend that uh, his parents were, were, his dad was a garbage man. And uh, it, it was, uh, it, it was just one of those things I thought, wow, this, that would be really cool. And then that was, you know, and, uh, you know, and then, then, it, then it kind of shifted to my, my next career, right? You know, what do I want to do after, after you know anders i want to be a, a bartender so i'm going to i want to actually be on a beach be a bartender and really learn how to make those really cool drinks and i, I think i could just really have a great time uh serving up drinks and and uh at, at a uh and in, in more of a resort type atmosphere so i, I did a double whammy there yes you did was that, was that after you Four watched the cocktail that's what i say you've watched cocktail that's one right. too many times he's going to be <laughs> top <Cruz> out there <laughs> yeah, top, yeah exactly that's funny all right, Russell. What, um, so I can't imagine there were many kids out there in the world telling their uh, friends and parents that they wanted to be a trash man. So that was probably a, got quite a bit of chuckles from from a bunch of adults. But what about you, Russell? What were you telling people? So I think the biggest one I can remember that was for a good long while was I wanted to be a chef. Um, I, I kind of naturally loved to cook and I, I liked the whole idea of it. So I even started when I was young looking at culinary schools and all that. And this is, this is where I always tell people the life lesson and be careful what you tell your kids. But, um, I remember my dad told me one day, and this is, I was probably getting a little older. He's like, well, you need to get a college degree first before you go to culinary school. And I was doing the math in my head and I was thinking like, that's eight years of school to be a chef. Um, and I don't even know if I was thinking about money, but I was like, I might as well be a doctor uh, if I'm going to spend eight years in school, which is a really bad thing to do. I'm pretty sure most chefs don't need a college degree, especially if they go to a decent culinary school. So that somehow got me knocked off that track. And then I think I went back to my, my secondary passion. I wanted to be a, a pilot, uh, in the, in the military. And so that's actually what I did. Uh, when I went to college, I went to air force RTC and was in the air force when I got out of college. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, then my next gig was, was starting an agency. So there you go. <laughs> that's quite the path. 
So I, yeah. I was always the kid that didn't really have an answer to that question. Like I, I never really knew what I wanted to be. And so like I would, I'd make different stuff up and say, okay, I want to be a lawyer. Or I want to be this and that. The really, um, the job that resonated with me, which is a weird one, I took a psychology class in freshman year of high school and loved it. Um, and so I really liked psychology and they talked about an animal psychologist. Um, and I was like, oh, that sounds really cool because I like animals. I like psychology. <laughs> I do that. And then like, you know, that's another one of those uh a, there's not a ton of jobs and B, like you're not getting paid a lot of money to like train Lassie <laughs> to uh, perform in a movie. So that, that lasted only a couple of years and then um, somehow fell into uh, fell into accounting. So uh, that's, that's, I think that's where people go when they don't know what they want to do. So that, that's how I ended up there. But uh, yeah, I was, uh, I, I never had an answer to that question. And I hated getting asked it because, you know, I, I didn't always want to say professional athlete because people look to you like, really, that's not going to happen. So um, yeah. yeah. Well, that would have been interesting. Animal psychology. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of animals with some, some depression and issues and things like that. Exactly. <laughs> cool. All right. So let, let's bring it back. Um, time for final thoughts. So um, listeners listen to most of this podcast and have a, a lot of good takeaways, but let's, let's give everybody a final thought and we'll start with you, Russell. Final thought. Well, I mean, I think, right. That's never to right. There's so many people doing great work out there. And I think if they can solve some of these challenges that, uh, that are inherent to be making an agency so hard that, that they can actually get back to why they started the agency and that's to do good creative work or, or to make a difference. Um, and that helps eliminate so many of those just business challenges that I think either force a lot of agencies to, to shut their doors or make people tired. So um, if you can position your agency and, and learn to be really truly effective and, and provide that value, I think it inherently solves some of those challenges. So uh, good luck to people in that journey. And, and, um, and uh, I look forward to, to seeing all, all the different niches that uh, agencies can create out there. Great. You know, I would add, I would add to that, Russell. I think uh, the biggest thing I think that, uh, agency owners need is they, they need a coach like yourself. I think they need somebody that uh, can really kind of help them through, through the you know things that go well, and but also help them through the things that don't go well. I mean, um, you know, business coach for us was one of the biggest things that we did um, that Jamie, I could, I probably would agree with you. You probably agree with me there is when we hired, hired one six years ago to help us through just communication, just through, you know, all the different things that you don't even think about that you, you as a business owner, um, go through, you know, because as an entrepreneur, you know, myself, you know, it's like, you know, I, I never went to school to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what it what it took. You know, I got in there and and I screwed up many, many things and I wish I could do things over again. Um, and, and it's nice to have that person just to be able to bounce ideas off of, you know, you, you, they may be harmless ideas, but something you probably wouldn't ask, you know, maybe somebody else on the team because you wouldn't want to give that person the wrong idea, you know, mm -hmm. you know, so I think a business coach is so important to have. And I, and I think every everybody should have one, uh, whether it's meeting with them on a weekly or monthly or quarterly basis. They they really need to have uh, somebody like yourself, um, you know, sitting there kind of helping them and directing traffic. I mean, I can't agree more and not that I'm even slightly biased today, but, but I can say we, we had the same thing. We had a business coach for eight years in, in our journey. And, and I always tell folks, I can't go back and pinpoint this one magnificent moment where it was worth every penny we paid, but it was all the knob turns, the little misdirections mm -hmm. here, a little, just even reframing and confidence building. Uh, and the yep. second, when I jumped back into this, I went right back and got a business coach. So I always say if, if people, great, you don't have to use me, but just know the power and the value of it and, and find someone that that can be that role for you because it's, it's always going to be worth its weight. And, and if, if you, I guess you could say there's maybe there's some bad ones out there, but um, it's, it's going to be worth its weight and the money you pay. 
So, so with that said, they don't have to use you, but if they do want to use you, how do they find you? <laughs> Good question. No, my website's performancefaction.com. Uh, you can go in there. There's a, there's an easy link just to schedule a quick conversation. Just start everything. Everything good in life starts with a, with a conversation. And and I just try to help folks and provide as much value I can early on. And if that means an ongoing relationship, great. Or if that just means a couple nuggets that help them get to the next stage, I'm, I'm happy to do that for free. So um, uh, yeah, all good things start with a conversation, performancefaction.com. Awesome. Great. Well, definitely appreciate you joining us. And you definitely answered one of my questions working with agencies for the last eight years. It's a, it is a unique industry and I, it, it's been hard to put your finger on what makes it unique, but you've definitely got me down the right path. So I appreciate you coming on for us. And uh, I think it's a great episode. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yep. Thanks Russell. Enjoy this podcast. Visit our website at summitcpa.net to get more tips and strategies for achieving business success. We're here to be a resource in this ever-changing industry.